It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advance B2B. It's your host here Edward Ford and joining us today on the show is Mikko Honkanen, the co-founder and CEO at Vinu.io, a bootstrapped Finnish sales tech SaaS company. Now in this episode Mikko shares his experience of growing Vinu, which has bootstrapped its way to over 15 million in annual recurring revenue and Mikko tells us why the founding team decided to bootstrap how Vinyl was able to validate demand and establish product market fit, and how they were able to differentiate and position themselves within the crowded MarTech and sales tech space. Mikko also tells us about some of the big challenges Vinyl faced with internationalization, how they scaled localized product and marketing, and what they did to pivot their strategy when entering the US market. We also hear about the impact bootstrapping had on Vinyl's go-to-market strategy and demand gen tactics. And Mika also opens up Vinyl's sales and marketing playbook. So there are a lot of solid takeaways and some truly invaluable advice in today's episode. So whether you are bootstrapped or not, a CEO, a founder, or working in sales and marketing, then there is something for everyone. So here is episode number 34 of the Growth Hub podcast with Mikko Honkinen, CEO and co-founder at Vinyl.io. Welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub podcast. And it is my pleasure to welcome Mikko Honkinen, co-founder at Vinyl.io to the show. So Mikko, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Growth Hub podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, I am super excited about this episode for many reasons, but you are also the first ever Finn to come on the Growth Hub podcast. And we're, of course, based in Helsinki, Finland. So it only took us 34 episodes, but we finally did it. We finally have a Finn on the show. And today we're actually going to be talking about your growth story and how you bootstrapped your growth. So to start, let's go back to the very beginning. Could you tell us, where did you actually get the original idea to start Vinyl? Yes. Um, so what we are building at Vinyl, it's a sales prospecting tool. It's a company database. And then we have built a search engine on top of that. So typically our users are B2B sales professionals and account managers, and they use the product to find good leads and good prospects to go after and also to sort of monitor existing clients and identify when the window of opportunity for sales is opening up. Uh, it's a fairly typical story. It was a pain point that I, that I felt myself when I was uh, leading sales teams in the Nordics and in the US. And together with my co-founders, they sort of felt the same pain point as well. Pietari, another co-founder, was back then responsible for global key accounts in a software company. And we all sort of had the same pain point that we wanted to walk into the office uh, knowing that we will definitely spend our time on the best possible sales prospects or the most important customers. And back then, there wasn't really any tool available that could help us do that. Only traditional company databases where you can do basic searches, but we felt we want to have something dynamic, something that is always up to date, something that tells us that, hey, 
focus on this account and you have the highest likelihood of, of getting a deal in. So we had that pain point ourselves and since we couldn't find a solution for that, we decided to uh, build it ourselves. Okay, great. And I know many companies in SaaS are obsessed with getting funding and raising capital, but why did you guys decide to fully bootstrap vinyl? Well, first of all, we felt that it should be doable to do it that way. So we wanted to see if, if it's possible. And um, at the same time, we sort of felt that uh, it's, it's by far the best way to get unfiltered feedback and sort of do the sanity check on the idea if you speak with lots of customers and 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 in a way only if customers and prospects are willing to invest both time and money in your idea then the idea is good good enough so mainly to get unfiltered feedback and really see if the product idea flies and uh, then of course after do, speaking with lots of customers we managed to get some first initial uh, clients uh, we were able to onboard them they were happy using the product we saw that hey when we look at the sort of unit economics we felt that hey it's possible to actually build this type of business without raising tons of external money and we ended up raising raising nothing so we only focused on organic growth and and all the cash came from uh, paying customers. Yeah, and you mentioned there about bootstrapping forcing you to see if the product flies or not, which is, of course, super important in, in the very early stages of launching a SaaS company. Mm. And I guess this leads into to the next question, which is you know, something that is a big challenge for pretty much every SaaS company. So can you tell us, how did you actually validate demand and establish product market fit for vinyl? We did very active sales from day one uh, because if you have an idea for a product or whatever service you're building, um, many people, what they do, they start doing lots of market research or they speak with people they already know. And in general, I feel people, they are polite and they want to be polite. So if you only ask input and, and feedback, on, on the idea, people tend to be nice and they give you positive feedback, but is that really the real feedback you're looking for? So we felt that the best way to really find and sort of justify and prove the product market fit is to make sure that we get uh, paying customers because then they invest, as I said, both time and money in it, which is, uh, which is a sign of commitment more than anything. So we spoke with lots of customers and uh, of course, we demoed the product and we showed the idea and collected lots of feedback. Also, all those, all those meetings and, and sales meetings that ended up not being, not being uh, successful ones, we collected lots of feedback and wrote down the reasons why someone wouldn't be uh, willing to invest in this type of idea. So I think we were just super hands-on doing uh, sales. And at the same time, um, we also started doing content marketing. So this was fall 2014 it wasn't that crowded in content marketing space uh, that time uh, we made one important uh, decision that i'm very happy we decided to do content marketing in local languages first we only had operations in finland so it, it was in finnish when we opened up later um, first international office in sweden we continued doing content marketing in swedish as well so that was also a good way to sort of uh, differentiate from all the English content out there. Uh, I don't know how much that helped us to 
creates the product market fit, but at least it helped us to sort of frame the, uh, the pain point we're solving and, and sort of showcase that we are uh, we're really going after this pain point and we feel that we know how to, how to solve it. And of course, it's a good way to also build credibility for the company. When you're a new startup, you don't have tons of customers, you don't have brand recognition, but if you have lots of content available, you can at least showcase that we're doing this uh, for real. Okay, so it was a combination of an active sales and content marketing. And you mentioned there that your focus was on the the Finnish and Swedish markets at first. And Mm -hmm. I guess in some ways this might lead lead on nicely into the next question in that overall on a global scale, of course, the sales tech and martech space is extremely crowded. So thinking about launching internationally and growing over time, how did you plan to stand out within such a crowded and competitive market being sales tech and martech? Mm. Yeah, it is indeed a crowded crowded space. There are lots of apps. Um, but when it comes to when it comes to the real question um, of sort of like which prospects and customers I should spend my time on and how to approach them, uh, you actually need lots of local data, which means that this space that we're in, which is a company data business more than anything, it's not that crowded and it's also fairly local because you need to have local data sets to provide the solution. So we don't compete with uh, companies that are only in the US. We don't compete with Asian companies and so on. We only compete with companies who have some data sets in these countries that we operate. Um, So in a way, lots of apps definitely out there, but our business and this domain is fairly local and you need to sort of expand country by country. and not only local data sets, but if you want to use machine learning and, and build training data sets for the algorithms, you need to have those data sets in local languages. So that sort of makes the business a lot more local compared to some other categories like uh, CRM category, marketing automation category, where the location is not that important. But for us, we have never felt that it's a crowded space for us, uh, mainly because of these factors that it's a fairly local domain we operate. Yeah, exactly. And as you did scale up over time, how did your decision to bootstrap then impact the implementation of your go-to-market strategy and then the demand gen tactics that you use to actually power your growth? Mm. Well, if you bootstrap the company, you don't, of course, have tons of money to spend on things that don't generate short-term results. So First of all, the organization had to be very lean. So we had a rule of thumb that every single person more or less needs to build the product or they need to build sales pipeline. And then once we got customers, then of course we had certain people who worked with existing customers, but very lean organization so that we have enough money to build the company. Also, it helped us to prioritize things. Of course, we had to put lots of focus on things that will generate short-term results. So active sales is a good example of that. A lot more difficult to do, to put lots of focus on brand recognition and so on, because results are not that short-term and you need them if you want to bootstrap. Uh, It also helped us to prioritize on a product side, because you cannot build tons of different products. You cannot solve tons of different pain points. You need to be very focused. And I think it was only a good thing. We ended up being very good at solving that 
well-defined pain point because we were not rich in, in cash um, when bootstrapping the company. Um, so that sort of helped us to make, make the decisions that let's do very active sales and let's combine it with uh, localized content marketing that is also data-driven. We even sort of coined the term smart bound, meaning that we do both inbound and outbound at the same time. And, and we use data a lot in both of those uh, funnels. Okay, that's great. Yeah, love the term smart bound. And you mentioned there that there was a focus on specific markets and scaling up across local countries. I guess that's primarily or at first within Europe. So how did you actually manage that challenge of scaling up considering you were doing local marketing across multiple countries in local languages? Really the simple answer is that we had one global playbook. So it's actually the first ever written document uh, that we created in the early days. It was sales and marketing playbook and it also covered uh, the customer journey. So we broke down a playbook that we still use. It's actually these days 150 slides, but we have been updating that every single week. So we created a playbook and we said that this is the way we do things. So there are certain things that we do not make any compromises, such as that we are data driven, we're active in sales, and this is how we prospect, this is how we book meetings, this is how we conduct demos, this is how we follow up existing cases and, and so on. So we created a playbook and then of course, if needed, we can localize it so that it always makes sense on a local level. But I think that was such a good decision to have one playbook that we use because then, even, even though we do business in different countries and we have operations also outside the Nordics, we know uh, that the sort of core methodology is same in all the markets. And that, of course, gives us um, uh, scalability quite a bit because if we want to change something, we can change something at the same time in all the places. We just need to up update the playbook and implement the changes. So playbook is definitely the number one, number one thing. Uh, we also wanted to have the same DNA in all the offices. So whenever we open up a new, new office, one thing that we have learned, it's super important that we always send an existing person from existing office to be part of that new office, at least the first six months or so, so that we have the same culture, same values, and, and same methodologies in, in, in place. So I think those two things combined were some of the key, key things we made. Yeah, that's great. And I love the idea of the sales and marketing playbook. And I would love to hear a bit more about that as you started to gain traction and scale up. What would you then say were some of the key factors that enabled you to grow? So are there any secrets from your playbook that you can share with us? I think number one thing is to measure everything, right? So that you have data. And uh, we've been very data driven from day one. So we know the number of people who have visited our website in fall 2014. We know how many new contacts we have created from the website. Uh, uh, we know the conversion. We know how many meetings we have landed with those inbound leads. We know the response time from the early days, how, how long it took to respond to an inbound um, request. Also on the, on the sales side, we know the number of calls we have made. We, have, we know how many meetings we have had how many of them ended up 
uh, in the proposal states, what has been the hit rate or a close rate from proposals to clients. So we've been very data driven and I think that's the key because then you don't have to guess and you can A-B test lots of things. Um, and also being able to focus. I think there are lots of things you can do uh, in, in the world of sales and marketing. You can do account-based marketing, you can do very active content marketing, you can do paid advertisement, uh, you can do inside sales, enterprise sales, channel sales. But I think it's important to focus on something and make sure that you're very good at it. Because it's a competitive world, of course, out there. And only by focusing on something, you can become extremely good at it. And I think it's needed uh, in, in today's world that you, you sort of become expert in something. So I think those are the main things I would highlight. Yeah, you mentioned there, of course, that there are so many things you can do and so many things you can focus on. And I think there's so many things you can measure now mm. when it comes to marketing and sales and, and growing a SaaS business. And I would love to ask from a financial perspective, what was your number one focus and priority? Was it bookings? Was it cash flow? Was it revenue? What was the key thing you were looking at from a financial perspective? Mm. I think for me, it was bookings. Um, in the early days, I was responsible for sales and, 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 uh, and we didn't, of course, in the early days, ha have tons of customers. So most of the re revenue and cash came from uh, new deals. So I was very focused on bookings. Then Pietri um, sort of acted as a CFO uh, on top of all the other things he was doing. So he put a lot of focus on cash flow that we always have enough money in the bank. And I would say those are the th two things we focus on today as well a lot. Revenue recognition is, or revenue per se, is not that important for SaaS company if you bootstrap it because revenue recognition and all those rules, they differ country by country. And I think when you sell, let's say, uh, one-year deals and you invoice upfront, you cannot recognize the whole amount, but you can still invoice and you see the cash coming in. So I think by focusing on bookings and cash flow, you actually get a better understanding how the business is, business is doing. Yeah, that's great. And earlier on in the episode, you spoke about how at first you, you really focused on active sales and content mm -hmm. marketing to validate the product market fit and to get vinyl up and running. But as you scaled, say, as you went from two to 10 million in ARR. How did that change? So what were some of the big differences in terms of what you did to grow and scale as you actually grew and scaled yourself? In a way, we were using more or less the same playbook all the way to 10 million uh, annual recurring revenue. So we didn't change a lot. Of course, when you get more and more customers, then uh, key numbers such as net retention and your ability to grow the accounts becomes uh, more important as well. So we started uh, steadily putting more and more focus on existing customers, making sure that we have good net retention numbers, we have good ability to grow the accounts we work with. And, uh, and then at some point when we had very rich database in the Nordics, we started doing uh, enterprise sales as well. So. Of course, there are lots of big banks, insurance companies, teleoperators, and they all need good data on companies. And uh, we started very actively working with them. And that required us to create a slightly different playbook because you sell to enterprises in a, in a different way you compared to uh, sales towards small and medium-sized customers. But we didn't really introduce like completely new channels. We didn't 
create no touch funnel we didn't do partnership sales uh, or anything like that we continued doing what we were good at active inside sales combined with relevant content marketing and then we introduced the enterprise enterprise sales team on top of that yeah and you mentioned earlier as well that your growth was really focusing on specific markets because of course the vinyl product is tied mm -hmm. to country databases and, and company information so could you talk about how you grew internationally and what were some of the key factors or barriers that uh, enabled you or, or were sort of blocking you from growing and expanding mm. yes yeah, so like many many finnish companies they when they want to go uh, abroad typically they always go to sweden first it's yes. very close <laughs> lots of swedish speaking people in finland culture is not that different and we did exactly the same so we opened up um, stockholm office in 2015 in fall i believe it was november 2015 uh, as i mentioned earlier we always transfer some existing employees from an existing office to be part of uh, the opening of the new market so Pietari and uh, Joel and Josephine, three people moved from Helsinki to Stockholm. We hired local people, Simon, Emil, who's nowadays the country manager in Sweden. They joined the company and then they started building the office in Stockholm. We, after that, we, I mean, the most natural thing would have been either Norway or Denmark, but we wanted to have business outside the Nordics as well. So we ended up choosing Netherlands and we opened up an office in Amsterdam. Amsterdam, of course, uh, I mean, it's an exciting opportunity for all SaaS companies. We had some uh, prior experience from the market and other SaaS companies that we knew they were doing pretty well in Netherlands. It was also a pretty clear path how we could make sure that we have the local data sources in place. So that's what we did in 2016. And uh, then a year later, we opened up an office in Oslo. Also, we started doing business in the U.S. and opened up New York office. Last year, we opened up another office in Netherlands uh, in Rotterdam because the market is a very good opportunity for us. And then we sort of finalized the Nordic tour and opened up Copenhagen office. Uh, as I said, we always need to build the local databases to be able to release the product. Now we're building France, UK, Germany, Spain, Italy, there's actually quite a few countries in the making. Uh, in terms of main learnings, I think always transferring culture and the company DNA is huge. So that's why we always try to use those global playbooks. We want to have existing employees being part of any, any new office we set up. And I think uh, what we always spend a lot of time on is the level of localization that is needed uh, i don't have like a silver bullet here what should be done but uh, in a way on the other hand we want to have the global playbook and do exactly the same things in all the markets but then of course we need to be smart and, and localized in places where it's needed for example, language for content marketing is, is one of them. Or if, if data says that it's very easy or very difficult to book meetings over the phone, that might uh, have an impact on our sales methodology. Or if we see that in, in Sweden, no one is using Twitter, everyone is on LinkedIn, maybe that's the channel we use more in Sweden. If we see that events work 
very well in Netherlands, then we try to put more focus on that. So I think we localize in places where it adds value, but it's 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 always a thin line how much you want to localize and how much you just want to run with the global playbook. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So looking back, what would you say were some of the big challenges that you faced over the years and how did you actually overcome them? I think one that I can think of is 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 that sort of that you need to make sure that you don't fall in love with present because if you're building a startup or a growth company and you end up being successful it means that you grow and it also means that the company is very different uh, every every year almost every quarter it's like a new new company you add more people you add more capabilities you add more offices so it's important that you don't fall in love with what you had in the early days but you need to be open for change every single uh, every single month and uh, i think that's been important lesson for me at least that at some point you need to introduce some processes some systems some policies as well even though when in the early days you're so happy that you don't really have any of those uh, you just sort of try to find your way to be successful and get the first customers but then when you start reaching 100 employees and thousand customers and multiple offices you just need to have some some systems and processes in place. So I think being open for change is definitely something. Um, then also understanding um, that localization aspect is key. When we opened up the US market, I mean, it was a tough market entry for us. A um, couple of things. We needed to localize the product quite a bit because the sales prospecting landscape is very different in the US. Everything is, of course, more expensive. And also in the US, it's a lot more difficult to get people on the phone if you do active sales. So I think those were definitely sort of uh, experiences um, that are, of course, important to have, but we could have speeded up the process by understanding the obvious a little bit quicker and fine-tune and tweak and localize the playbook in the US market a little bit faster. That's what we did at the end, and, and now we have a nice, interesting business where we mainly focus on enterprise customers in the, in the US. Yeah, that's super interesting to hear. And looking back and reflecting on the last four to five years, as you said there, you've learned a lot, faced many different challenges. You've grown very quickly, opened multiple international offices, and you've now uh, recently reached 16 million in ARR. So what would you say are the three biggest learnings in growing a B2B SaaS company based on your experiences with Vinyl? I would say number one, measure everything you do so be very data driven first of all because it's possible and uh, secondly it helps you to evaluate uh, certain alternatives and it helps you to make better decisions so measure everything you can and do it from day one that's number one number two make sure that you have a sales and marketing playbook in place i mean at the end you want to build a product but it's important that you you find your own unique way of acquiring and getting new customers and 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 your way of making them happy so that they stay with you so having that type of playbook in place i feel is super important again it helps you to run the same business in different different locations and maybe the third one is about choosing the battles Uh, so you need to be able to say no to lots of things and you need to be good at choosing the must-win battles and then just make sure that you win the ones you 
the ones you choose. It's very difficult to do everything at the same time. You have limited resources, limited um, areas that you can focus on. So important that you pick the battles you really need to win, and then you do everything in your power uh, to make it happen. Yeah, that's great. So measure everything, create a sales and marketing playbook, and choose your battles wisely. So this is great. And Mikko, let's now move to uh, closing questions in the Fast Five Challenge. So all I'm going to do is ask you five questions, and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, let's do it. So the first question is, what would be your one book recommendation for others to read? Well, uh, not a business book. I think people read lots of business, business books anyway. So it's a book by Paul Kalanithi, When Breath Becomes Air. That's the book I would recommend. Okay, nice. Second question, a SaaS company that you love and why? Mm, Ecosign in the early days, uh, and mainly because of uh, CEO, co-founder Jason Lemkin. I think he has done an excellent job making SaaS playbook available for everyone in the industry. So Ecosign in the early days. Yes, we love Jason Lemkin, the godfather of SaaS in many ways. Um, third question, your favorite place to read about marketing online? Uh, Typically, uh, just following key influencers like you on, on, on Twitter and on LinkedIn, and then, then I catch interesting links from the feed. That's the main way uh, how I get interesting articles about marketing. Okay, that's great. That's the first time anyone's mentioned me, so I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> perfect. Fourth question, most important growth metric? Mm, I don't want to say magic number, so I'll pick two. Uh, customer acquisition cost payback time and net dollar retention. Nice. And fifth and final question, what would be your one best piece of advice for fellow marketers? Um, benchmark with other SaaS companies, uh, go out and visit other uh, growth marketeers, be open, be transparent, share numbers, share stories, share successes, failures, I think you will learn a lot. We have this tradition at Vime that we go out to new cities, cities where we don't have any offices, and we set up meetings with other SaaS companies, and then we do lots of benchmarking, knowledge sharing, and such a good way to get new ideas and see what might work uh, for us as well. Yeah, that's great. Love it. Brilliant idea. So, hey, Mikko, I have to say a massive, massive thank you for joining us today and sharing your story of bootstrapping vinyl and all the valuable lessons in strategy and marketing sales and growth. It's been absolutely awesome having you on the show today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lots of fun. That was Mick Kohonkanen with the Bootstrappers Growth Playbook. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to connect with Mikko, you can find him on Twitter at Mikko Honkanen. And if you enjoyed the show, then please leave us a review and you can always reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect with me on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by Advance B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advanceb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different